Hello, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project. And before we get into today's episode, I just want to share something with you about the upcoming year. As you all know, God showed himself so faithful in 2016 through the Jude 3 Project and did exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask, think, or hope for. We held our first conference with Biola University. We've grown tremendously through the means of social media. We've reached tens of thousands of people and helped equip pastors and leaders from across the country, and we're so thankful for it. This year, we want to impact students on historically black colleges and universities. That's one of our main initiatives for this year. Through the launch of our Historically Black Colleges and University HBCU Tour, And we've been hearing a lot from college students that are HBCU campuses that they're really wrestling on campuses, engaging other students. And many students on campuses have this question about Christianity being the white man's religion. We've addressed it a lot through podcasts, but we want to do something different. We want to interact with students on a one-on-one basis. So we decided to join forces with Dr. Vince Bantu, who's been on the podcast several times and is a is a favorite um, for podcast visits for those who listen. And he's going to go and join our team and go to historically black colleges and universities across the country. We first plan to do all of the campuses um, 10 to 12 during the spring semester, but we've thought it would be best to wait to the fall to do 10 to 12 schools. But this spring, we plan to do three to four. By God's grace, on February 6th at 6 p.m. at Bethune-Cookman University, we will host our first event. Um, in addition to that, we hope to go to Howard Clark Atlanta and North Carolina Central um, before April is out. Um, but we need your help. If you believe in the vision and the mission mission of the Jude 3 Project, we ask that you consider becoming either a monthly supporter or a one-time giver. This gift will help fund the mission of the HBCU tour. We want to explore, to expand, and better equip and provide other resources. We also hope to hire staff this year to help provide resources for the African-American context to be better equipped um, to do what we feel God has called us to do. And so if you've been blessed by this ministry and you can help, we ask that you please do so by sending a financial contribution either a once a month donor or a one-time donor. Anything you could give, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for your continued support. You can give going to www.jew3project.com and there's a donate tab. It's highlighted in red. Again, that's jew3project.com. Again, thank you so much for all you do to support the Jew3 Project. I personally really appreciate it. Now let's get into today's episode. Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jude 3 Project. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Vince Vitale. Welcome, Vince. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to uh, be with you on my first Google Hangout. I'm very excited. 
<laughs> I, I appreciate you joining me and you're in the RZIM office there in Atlanta, right? That's right. Uh, and just recently, uh, my wife and I were based in the RZIM office in Oxford, England. Uh, we met there. We were married there. My wife's from England and uh, we just moved over about two months ago. So we're uh, trying to figure out the South and uh, we are now Atlanta <laughs> residents, which we're very excited about. And it's uh, 70 degrees in the middle of January. I'm from New Jersey originally, so I'm very much enjoying that. And uh, we've made the move to help uh, launch a new initiative called the Zacharias uh, Institute, which will be launching in at the end of March. Mm -hmm. uh, before we get into that, can you give just a little bit of background for those who don't know who you are, our listeners? Absolutely. Uh, born in New Jersey, uh, mm -hmm. Italian-American, I would say culturally Catholic family, you know, Italian-Americans from New Jersey, therefore Catholic, therefore Christian. Um, but faith was not something we thought a lot about. Uh, we weren't churchgoers, um, and it wasn't a, a daily part of our lives. When I got to college, um, I met some people, actually two guys who I was playing soccer with at the time. They invited me to a, um, meeting of athletes in action, which is mm -hmm. the athletic ministry of campus crusade. And, uh, I can remember very distinctly showing up and seeing people who otherwise seemed like, you know, cool folks that I would hang out with, you know, athletes my age. And here they were singing their hearts out to this invisible God. And, uh, and I thought, whatever I mean, when I say, yeah, I'm Italian American, therefore Catholic, therefore Christian. And whatever these people mean when they say, I'm Christian are two different things. So I didn't become a Christian for another six months or so, but that was a very significant point that started a search on my part of asking a lot of hard questions. I was studying philosophy at the time. I didn't feel I could just park my brain at the door. If this was a blind leap of faith, I didn't think it was for me, but I started asking hard questions. Thankfully, I was part of a community there that took my question seriously, pointed me to good resources. As the intellectual objections started to get cleared away, that kind of opened the path for me to be more honest about what was in my heart and for God to uh, begin to connect with me on a relational level. And about six months ago, uh, six months later, uh, in my dorm room, I was on my own. There was nobody there, but that just kind of conviction of the reality of God and what Jesus had done hit me. And I exclaimed out loud, oh, man, this really happened. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, have had that had that sense since somehow two weeks later, I wound up on a, a trip down to Panama City Beach, Florida, where uh, we were trying to actually share about Christianity with people who, you know, had just gone down there to have a good time. <laughs> and I don't know how, I don't know how I wound up on that trip, but uh, very quickly after I became a Christian, I had a positive experience of sharing Christianity with others and seeing that, that light that kind of goes on in someone's eyes when they begin to glimpse who Jesus really is for the first time. And so I've never known Christianity, uh, apart from sharing Christianity, those two things have always been integrated in my, in my Christian life. Uh, incredibly thankful for that. Uh, and really that kind of set the trajectory for uh, the rest of, of my uh, life to this point as a Christian, where I've been trying to seek different ways to take questions seriously through academic pursuits and engaging in the university, uh, and then trying to seek opportunities to share the faith in a way that people can find relevant to them and connect with. Mm -hmm. And you actually just recently published a new book with uh, 
my favorite apologist of all time, Dr. Robbie Zacharias. That's um, right. <laughs> for our audience who, who don't know about the book, can you just tell a little bit about the new book and what was the purpose behind the book? Because this is kind of a sequel to um, Jesus amongst other gods. That's right. Uh, Dr. Zacharias, also my favorite apologist. Uh, and what, yeah, what an honor to work with him on this project. Um, we had done one book together before called Why Suffering? Looking at the Problem of Evil. Um, and actually, when I became a Christian in college, it was in those first couple of years that I first read Jesus Among Other Gods, which was a significant, um, significant resource for me. So particular privilege to work on this. And actually, it was the publisher who came to us and said, you know, we have this idea for a book, you've written Jesus Among Other Gods, Ravi, uh, and that was a really helpful resource for people. And we think it's time now, um, as we move into increasingly a culture um, which is secularized. Um, the Economist, a couple of months ago, talked about us living in a post-truth society. And then um, even after that, Oxford English Dictionary made post-truth their word of the year for the year 2016. So the publisher, you know, felt and we thought it was a really brilliant idea to say, let's do Jesus among secular gods. So not specifically looking at other religions, but looking at different um, atheistic ways of seeing the world and putting them side by side um, with Christianity. You know, we always try to have people in mind when we write. We always, you know, we're not just writing about ideas or theories, but we're trying to write um, with people in mind and, and for people. And for me... One of those people was um, a student, and really multiple students. Uh, about six months ago, I was in Chicago on some different university campuses. I do a lot of ministry to, to campuses. And we had, on the way into one of our events, we had a, a big whiteboard where people could come up and answer the question, uh, what is the meaning of life? And across the top of the board, we had all different options. Uh, it could be to pass on your genes. It could be to be successful. It could be to make money. It could be to sacrificially um, love others. And we had all these different op options across the top. And my lasting image of that was of students confidently walking up to the board, grabbing the marker, looking at the options, and then really just standing there paralyzed. Uh, sometimes for minutes on end, and you could sort of see the confidence drain off their faces, as many of them really didn't have any idea where to start in terms of how to answer that question. And I think when you think about where we are as a society today, one, we have so many choices in front of us in terms of how we're going to see the world. It's almost paralyzing. There's so much choice. Um, and secondly, to even suggest that you have a way of seeing the world which might be the right way or might be better than other ways is very often immediately uh, branded as intolerant um, and as extremist and as narrow-minded. So there's a couple of different factors which are making the age we live in right now a very difficult one to take a respectful look at the options and make an informed decision about what you want at the center of your life, what you, what or who you are going to trust and how that's going to set the trajectory for your life. So that's really what we wanted to do. You know, criticism without alternative is empty. Lots of times people want to criticize one way of seeing the world, but not put anything else in its place. But we mm -hmm. all have questions that we need to answer. Robbie likes to talk about origin 
meaning, morality, and destiny. If you want to live a coherent life, everyone needs to answer questions of where did we come from? What's the purpose of life? Therefore, how should we live? And ultimately, where are we headed? Christianity has answers to those questions, and I'm not sure that any other way of seeing the world has answers that are as coherent, as compelling, uh, and as true to our lived experience. So we wanted to put a variety of options on the table, uh, a book both for Christians but also for non-Christians, and really our hope and prayer is that Christians will read the book and they'll say, this is something that I want to give to a friend of mine, uh, so that they can take a respectful look at the different options and make an informed decision. What has been some of the feedback you've received from the book? It's been incredibly encouraging. I mean, if, if, if people aren't sure if the book is for them and they want to check it out, you know, feel free to jump online at you know, Amazon.com or Goodreads or Christian Book Distributors. Uh, we, know we have over 100 reviews of the book in a little over a week. And uh, just so encouraging to, to hear that people are finding it helpful, encouraging, persuasive, um, they're not finding it overly technical, but but they're finding it to have content that can actually be used in the day-to-day. -day. And hopefully that's because we have people in mind. So, you know, when we write a chapter on scientism, we're not just dealing with theories, but we're we're thinking of the person who says, well, I couldn't be a Christian because I'm a scientist, or I couldn't be a Christian because science is explaining everything or ultimately will explain everything. You know, we know people who say things like that and we're trying to write in such a way that to, to say this is the way you might engage with that person in a helpful in a helpful manner. Um, you talked about kind of the tension for many with science and faith. Um, how do you navigate through that space of being a former skeptic yourself and being on college campuses? Because I hear a lot about that as well. And one of my friends is an OBGYN, and she talks about her how her uh, her colleagues uh, often make fun of her faith and, and compare it to believing in unicorns. So um, <laughs> how do you kind of navigate that space? Um, with wow. And yeah, it's... it's um it's an objection and a concern that I, I really resonate with. In fact, I have a memory of, as a college student, before I was a Christian, I remember walking into a bookstore uh, one day and, uh, and seeing a book that was about Christianity. And I read the back cover and the book explained itself as an attempt to hold on to Christianity while explaining away everything miraculous. So in other words, to be able to explain everything in scientific naturalistic terms but still hold on to a form of christianity and i can remember hoping it could be done mm -hmm. uh, because at that point i was reading the gospels i was so compelled and attracted to the person of jesus i was longing for the person of jesus but mm -hmm. i just didn't think we could take seriously you know the claims of the miraculous and I had this kind of assumption I never had really thought it through and I don't think anyone had actually ever given me good arguments for it but there was just this assumption in culture that somehow because science was explaining more and more things science in some way had disproved God uh, this is actually one of the questions that I most enjoy responding to because I think that it really is an assumption it's an unfounded rumor and when you think it through, you can see that it's not the case. I mean, here's just a, a couple of thoughts, but, you know, there's a lot more in the book. But if you, if you think about arguably the uh, two most significant scientific discoveries in cosmology with respect to the universe, 
uh, in the last hundred years, you might say that the first one is that the universe has a beginning. Over a hundred years ago, many people would have thought the universe just always existed, and if it always existed, if there had never been a change from non-existence to existence, then maybe it didn't require a further explanation. But scientists now believe that the universe had a beginning, and if it went through that change, if it began, if it went from non-existence to existence, well, something has to explain that. And something which is very powerful and very creative in order to get a universe of this sort. Now, positing the existence of God gives you a very good explanation for that scientific fact. You go back, you know, right to the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In fact, at the time, some of the great scientists of the day were hesitant to accept this conclusion because they saw that it cohered so well with what the Bible was saying. Uh, and if you don't have God as your explanation for how things got started, it's not clear what another good explanation would be. Another of the scientific facts is the fine-tuning of the universe. That's what people call it. But really, it's just the idea that our universe is life-friendly. The chances of life being possible in a universe, according to scientists, not just atheistic scientists, not just Christian scientists, but scientists across the board, say that the possibility of any form of life, not just on the planet Earth, but any form of life anywhere on the universe coming to exist is utterly, utterly minuscule. The numbers that they throw around are something like one in 10 to the power of 10 raised in turn to the power of 123. You couldn't even write out that number. There, you, you would need more zeros to write out that number than you have particles in the universe. Mm -hmm. That's how likely scientists are telling us it is to get life in the universe if the universe is just the product of randomness or chance. But of course, if the universe is the product of a relational God who's powerful and intelligent and relational and desires to bring people into existence that he can call to himself and bring into relationship with himself for all eternity, well, then it's not surprising that you have life in the universe. So again, you have a very good explanation if you believe in God, and it's not clear what your explanation is if you don't. And then a last thing just to mention is the regularity of the universe. The regularity of the universe is necessary for us to even do science. You know, we live in a world which is explainable, which has patterns and regularities that we can therefore put scientific theories to and test and come to conclusions. But if God doesn't exist, if we just live in a world of randomness and chance, why should we expect that the universe would be regular in that way? Why should we expect that it would be scientifically testable and patterned such that we could come to natural, regular conclusions about things. I don't think we should expect that if God doesn't exist. I, Einstein even saw this. He said that the most incomprehensible thing about the universe is that it is comprehensible. And he's getting at the same point. If you take God out of the picture, there's no reason that you should expect the regularity that leads to scientific conclusions. Mm -hmm. So not only do I not think that science disproves God, but I actually think that only God proves science. God is a very good engineer, and he 
uh, engineered the world in a beautiful way such that it is regular and such that we could look into it and we could come to have scientific discoveries. And that's one of the ways that we come to know him. So, sorry, you, you've gotten me going there. And I can talk about that all day. <laughs> no, exciting thing to talk about because I don't feel like when I speak on that topic, I'm on the back foot. I don't have to be defensive about that question. The question about whether science disproves God, not only does science not disprove God, but actually it points to God in some really exciting ways. And so when I when I get that question, it's to me just an open door in front of me to be able to share something about who God is and the way he's made the world. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people forget when their scientific discoveries or that seemingly dis they they use to try to disprove uh, belief in God that those are sometimes just theories. Um, they're still discovering things, so that's just kind of their hypothesis. Um, it's not necessarily fact. So <laughs> I think people forget that about science. That's it's that's that's a very helpful addition. Um, and one way of one way of putting it is that. The vast majority of scientific theories that throughout history at one point were considered proven and considered the consensus are now considered to be false. Mm -hmm. We don't think about it that way, but most of the scientific theories that at one point people thought, yes, that's absolutely true, we now think are false. So you're right, we have to be very careful as Christians about assuming, you know, we read about a new scientific discovery in the newspaper or we see it on TV and now all of a sudden we start reframing our theology or we start reading scripture differently because of this so-called scientific discovery. Whereas the reality is 100 years from now, 200 years from now, 300 years from now, what science believes is going to look a lot different than it does today. So we need to ground ourselves in something which is much more stable than <laughs> science, which is the word of God. Amen. I do agree. Uh, we want to shift gears a little bit and talk about something that I'm very excited about, uh, excited to attend the opening in March. The Zacharias Institute, which you're you're heading in in um, the ATL. Tell us about that. That's great. The ATL. I like that. See, I need to get my, <laughs> my lingo down. I don't I don't know, you know, yet how to how to refer to the place that I actually live. Uh, <laughs> that's good. So hey, we're really excited about this. Uh, the Zacharias Institute, you know, RZIM has been in, in existence for decades now. And you know, the reason I'm so excited about this new initiative is because of the fruitfulness I've seen over the last seven years that I've been a part of the RZAM ministry. Um, I really have seen great effectiveness in terms of how we equip Christians to be excited about and confident to share their faith and to deal with the questions of their friends and their families. And then also when we're doing evangelism, when we're actually sharing the faith with people, to see people respond, um, to see people actually take that step of stepping into a relationship with Jesus that is um, grounded, uh, which is uh, mature, which is lasting, uh, you know, and is going to be there for eternity. You know, what an incredible thing to see. And, and as part of this ministry, I genuinely have gotten to see that or rejoice at my colleagues seeing that every week, you know, week after week after week. And so for me, the reason I'm so excited about the Zacharias Institute is because it's all about trying to hand on uh, as much as we can to the church and many different aspects of the church that effectiveness that we're seeing uh, as we 
as we use this model of evangelism that takes people's questions seriously. Uh, the tagline that we're using for the Zacharias Institute is the questions of culture and the invitation of Christ. Mm. You need both of them. You have to take people's questions seriously. You need to come alongside them and start where they are, but you also need to actually invite them to Jesus. You know, if, if I'm throwing a great party, but I never send you an invitation, for most people, it's unlikely that you're just going to show up. And mm -hmm. so we try to do both things. We take people's questions seriously, and then we actually do invite people into that relationship. And the Zacharias Institute is going to be all about all different forms of training that will help people to do that and to do that effectively. Um, we're going to be having training programs lasting everywhere from a two-day conference to uh, several weeks. Many of those will be open to uh, anyone uh, looking at the toughest questions that the church is facing uh, today. Some of those programs will be more specific to certain groups of people, whether that's for emerging apologists, people who are sensing a specific call into apologetics and evangelism. We want to come alongside those people in a holistic way um, with several members of our team and really help them identify that calling, discern how it's supposed to be lived out, and then release them into all that God has for them, but we want there to be conferences for parents trying to figure out how to raise children uh, in today's world, conferences for uh, business leaders, conferences on different themes, uh, whether it's atheism or sexuality or suffering um, or science. This is the first time that as a ministry uh, we have owned a facility, and by God's unbelievable provision over the last couple of years, we've been able to purchase um, a building, and we spent the last year refurbishing it and it now includes a several hundred person auditorium classrooms seminar rooms an art gallery um, a cafe a reading room a bookstore and it's just going to be a wonderful environment uh, to learn in and we want to bring together theory uh, and the arts and a practical expression of the faith into a holistic type of training that i think people are really going to enjoy enjoy and find uh, really effective as well. So our, our dedication, as you mentioned, is coming up at the end of March, and we're going to roll into our first programs in April. Mm -hmm. And that's open to anyone, correct? That's absolutely right. And you can go on to uh, www.rzim.org. Uh, as of just a few days ago, we put up some of the details for our first few events. And in the coming few weeks, you can expect more and more events and programs to be listed there. Uh, and you can go ahead and register or apply, depending on the program, right through the website. That's awesome. I'm, I'm very excited because you're, like you say, you're equipping people to be practitioners because sometimes if you have a love for apologetics, it can quickly become something that's just an obsession and you just talk about theories and questions and never get people to the gospel. Um, so the emphasis on not only taking people's questions, but leading them to a point of decision, I think it's important and something that sometimes uh, us apologists forget. So I think that's that's great. Yeah, absolutely right. And that's where we're we're so grateful for Ravi um, as he has you know set the tone for this ministry and led this ministry. Uh, I can't tell you how often we get people you know writing in and they say, you know, you did have good answers to my questions, and that was significant. But but even more significant was the way that you treated me as you responded to my questions. You took my questions seriously. You took me seriously. You engaged with gentleness and respect. 
you know, and that is part of the content of our message because through that we are communicating something about who God is and the type of relationship that he wants to be in with the person. So for us, it's never first and foremost about ideas or th theories. Uh, it's always about, uh, about people. Mm -hmm. That's great. Contending without being contentious is important. So uh, well um, is there any other ways or any other things you would like to share with us uh, before we, before we close out here? Well, I really just hope that you'll, uh, people will come and, and check out the Institute. One other thing which I didn't mention is that we're going to have the capability through technology, as we're using right now, um, <laughs> to, to live stream many of the events that we're doing as well. So for some people, it's going to be easier to get down to the ATL. Um, for, <laughs> for, for other people, that may not be um, easy, but many of the events we're also going to have um, great capability and technology to be able to um, send out um, the lectures through a live stream so people can engage, whether it's at their church or individually um, with the content and with the manner in which we're going about um, apologetics and evangelism. So hopefully that's exciting to people. Maybe one other thing I'll mention is we love doing things on campuses. Um, one of the things that's most exciting is when we get to go to a campus for five days in a row. Um, we call them a university mission or university events week. Uh, and the wonderful thing about that is that you can journey with people uh, not just coming in for one event and then leaving and maybe someone's been impacted, but there's no real way to follow up with it. But this way we can come alongside local churches and campus ministries and journey Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And we often find that people who are hardened to the faith on Monday slowly begin to open up. By the middle of the week, it actually formed some, some good relationships. Hello? ready to take that um, step of relationship um, with Jesus. So if you're listening uh, and you are a college student or you are a campus minister um, or you know somebody who is on campus uh, and would like to, or even a local church, who'd like to you know, bring in a team to um, engage with your community for several days in a row, that's something that we find really effective, something that we get really excited about. Uh, we'd love to hear from you about any opportunities like that as well. That's amazing. Um, what are your uh, social media handles for those who want to connect with you via Great. Social media? So I'm, I'm at, uh, at Vince R. Vitali. Good Italian. My parents gave me a good Italian name, Vincent Raphael Vitali Jr. <laughs> uh, so it's Vince, the letter R, Vitali uh, is my uh, Twitter handle. And then on Facebook, you can uh, find me, Vince Vitali. Uh, on Facebook. I got a couple pages, a personal page and a, a public page there. And uh, I've been dragging my feet on Instagram, but I think our, our media team is going to have me on there before long. So <laughs> you got to get on the gram. I know. It's, <laughs> that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> you see, you, you finally get up to speed on one of these platforms and then it's, you know, going out of business and there's a new one. So yeah, next you'll be on Snapchat, but yeah, uh, oh my goodness, I'm not even on Snapchat yet. It's, okay. it's too much. Okay. Too many social media accounts. It's overwhelming. Uh, well, thank you so much, Vince. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Lisa. Great privilege to be with you. Hope we can talk again. And I'm looking forward to having you at the Institute uh, in a couple months as well. Yes, I'm excited. Great. All right. God bless you. God bless you. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, you can catch all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com or you can subscribe on iTunes, 
and Google Play by searching The G3 Project. You can also get better equipped with our Bible Engagement app by searching the App Store, Google Play, or Apple App Store by searching The G3 Project, and that will help you better engage Scripture on a daily basis. If you would like to donate to The G3 Project, go to g3project.com and hit the Donate tab. In addition, you can follow us on, in, on social media by searching at G3Project on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, here at the G3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.